హలో హలో వెల్కమ్ టు అనదర్ ఎపిసోడ్ ఆఫ్ బి ఓపెన్ అండ్ అథెంటిక్ విత్ రోహిత్ టుడే వీ హ్యావ్ డాక్టర్ లవాండా బ్రాన్ విత్ ఐస్ సో జస్ట్ జస్ట్ గివ్ ఏ గ్లిమ్స్ ఆఫ్ యునో డాక్టర్ లవాండా కెరీ రైట్ సో షీ హెస్ డన్ పిహెచ్డి పోస్ట్ డాక్ ఎంబీఏ వర్క్ డెస్ ఎ ప్రొఫెసర్ అండ్ నౌ షీ ఈస్ అ ఫౌండర్ ఫర్ ఫర్ ద కంపెనీ కాల్ ఐ గేష్ సో i i i never imagined that this is even possible in 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 my lifetime because you know, it's not just about getting the degrees it's about you know putting the you know work to get those degrees and it's it's a lot of hard work so you know uh, that's what you know i want to you know uh, talk more and understand you know uh, the motivation and understand understand the journey a bit uh, deeper so let's let's get started uh, firstly you know thank you lavanda for um, you know taking your time and and uh, you know willing being willing to talk uh, on the epi- on the podcast with me uh, thanks for your valuable time and and effort uh, on this so yeah can, can you give uh, can we get started with an introduction yes definitely and it is all my pleasure to be here thank you for having me and i'm happy to share my journey you know anybody that i can help by just sharing my experiences i you know i will do it over and over okay Um so just a little uh background on me. Um you've done quite the job already Rohit. Um but I am Dr. Lavanda Brown, founder and CEO of iGage. Um iGage is drug screening technology where we look at your eyes and can determine how impaired you are. Um prior to ending up here at this startup, I have had quite the journey. Um but I mean, do you want me to give those details right sure, now? Sure, yes, please. Yes, please. Uh, okay. yes, please. Um, so, um, let's backtrack maybe. I don't want to date myself too much, but maybe like uh 2006, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was um I went to undergrad at Norfolk State University um in Norfolk, Virginia, and I had a full academic scholarship. Um and uh I studied electrical engineering or electronics engineering. And so that's kind of um i knew that i loved the math and applied sciences like physics and things like that and so that's how i ended up in this space ended up going to grad school still focused on electrical engineering um with a focus in robotics and so my phd was a robotic tutor that engaged children in math and one of mm-hmm. the metrics that we used was eye tracking and so that's where my eye tracking began um i was doing eye tracking to see where students were looking at on a math test on a tablet how you know how long they fixated on different on different um points in the exam whether it was the actual answer or the question or if it was in space and mm-hmm. then we were able to determine um if they were engaged uh we correlated that with if they got the questions right or wrong um interesting after my phd i did a postdoc at an alzheimer's clinic at emory university um uh, where we leveraged i leveraged the eye tracking right um but mm-hmm. the application was for detection of any malcognitive impairments that uh, a patient may have or potentially alzheimer's right and so yeah. it was a long term study uh we looked at how patients scan different images art images it, what they noticed and based off of that we could use machine learning to determine if they had any malcognitive impairments. Yeah. Um following my postdoc, I uh, went to LSU. I was an assistant professor 
in electrical engineering and I continued the eye tracking work uh, that I was doing in the Alzheimer's clinic from Emory. So there was a partnership there. And after about a year at LSU, I, I knew that I wanted to do research full time. And so okay. I walked away from the teaching, uh, did research back at Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech uh, Research Institute for two years. Also picked up my MBA in the process, and that's when I took the big leap to become an entrepreneur, and I started my cage. Wow. Okay, so so when did you, you know, make the call that, hey, you know, I, I know all of this, uh, and it's time to start my own company? Is it during the MBA, or, or like, how did, it, uh, did you start with it? Um, great question. When I was getting my MBA, not my MBA, excuse me, my PhD at electrical, in electrical engineering at Georgia Tech, I, during that process, I was there for five years. Um, and during that process, I was, I had an entrepreneurial bug. Like I knew or itched. I knew I wanted to start a company and I was like, is it going to be robotics? Is it going to be, you know, an education? Like, what is it going to be? But after being in grad school for four years, I was like, well, I'm not trying to prolong this. Um, I don't want to get an MBA now. Let me just get this PhD and, and be done. Um, and so I didn't explore any more than that just because the PhD had taken a toll on yeah, I get it. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, you know, it was there. I still explored becoming um, an assistant professor because the best time to do academia is right after grad school where your publications are in postdoc, mm -hmm. when your publications are fresh. And so mm -hmm. worst case scenario, if I decided I didn't like it, which I didn't, um, I could always leave, but I would never have the opportunity to do it again yeah. because, you know, of the publications, right? Yeah. Um, so when I came back to Georgia Tech and I saw that they would, they essentially paid for my MBA because I was an employee at Georgia Tech, nice. I focused on entrepreneurship throughout the program. I took all the classes related to starting a business, you know, the entity types, the marketing, uh, the IP strategy, um, and then I took a course, it, it was geared towards like doing customer discovery and talking to potential customers to see what they're, yep. you know, if they would actually be interested in whatever you're developing. So throughout this process, that is when I decided, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to start a business. I think I'm going to do it. And initially I thought I was going to do eye tracking for education because that's where it started, right? Yep. During my PhD. Um, but by the time I was looking at doing some market research, I had learned very quickly that it was a it was a pretty saturated market. Online studies had increased, and so people already were looking at eyes to see how engaged people were in different studies and, and reading yep. and things like that. Um, and then I found that substance abuse was a market that was more promising, and, and what it, much work hadn't been done. And so yep. that's when I decided to take the leap. There, oh. there is one more personal experience that ties into that, but I'm not sure if this, if we should talk about that now or later. I'm sure. I mean, you, you can, you can share it. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so the NBA started the itch, but while I was at Emory, um, and so a few years before I actually started my company, I gauge, I actually lived with a loved one who had a drinking problem. And so mm -hmm. I was at this Alzheimer's clinic building the software and the hardware because um, it didn't exist. The cameras didn't exist just yet mm. to do the eye analysis work. 
I was looking at pupils, I was looking at scleras, the white part of the eye, you know, saccades, rapid eye movement, things like that. And during the day, and then I would come home and it was an occupational hazard just to look at people's eyes. I mean, until today, I still look at people's eyes. And so I would come home and I would notice that my partner's eyes would be red and glossed over, slow to respond. At the time, I was not thinking about eye gauge. Eye gauge was the furthest thing away from me. Obviously, I was more concerned about um, his well-being and, you know, what that meant. Uh, But fast forward to the NBA when I was doing that market research and I thought I was going to do education and I stumbled across substance abuse. um, That's when it clicked that not only did I have the technical skill set with the eye tracking, but I also had, you know, personal experience actually living with people who are battling, you know, substance abuse. And I just knew that this is where I needed to be. Yeah. Right. So, so this is about, you know, connecting all the dots mm-hmm. at the right time, because mm-hmm. even if you thought about it, you know, during PhD, you might have, you know, might not have worked because, you know, PhD itself is a lot more, you know, uh, stressful. And then, but you also, you know, might not have had the, you know, enough background about, you know, entrepreneurship and, and all the stuff, you know, to start a company. But I like the way that, you know, you kept going with uh, eye tracking in applying it to multiple domains and even, uh, you know, starting a company off of it. Right. That is, that is pretty good because, uh, I'm not sure whether uh, who else will have a better, you know, vision clarity or, or, uh, who can build a promising technology around, you know, eye tracking than you, because that's what, you know, you pretty much worked on it throughout, uh, throughout your career for the, for the most part. And, and, and you have the, you just have the right background. Uh, I, I like the way you connected all these dots and, and, you know, these are coming well together now. So, you know, I want to touch this a little bit because, uh, I had a, you know, um, assumption that if you are going to PhD, you will just stay in the academia route mm-hmm. and then you will never able to be, you know, get back into startup, uh, you know, other, other, you know, tech world or, you know, things like that. So that is another reason. That's one of the reasons I did not opt for PhD, even though I had a, you know, full, full scholarship, uh, promised for me, like, okay, that might be too much of, you know, too much hassle. And, and I, uh, but I want to do, you know, uh, you know, startups in the long run, which is another reason I want to, you know, I worked, uh, you know, uh, it chose other path, uh, which is, uh, you know, career in tech compared to PhD. But now you proved me that, Hey, if you want to do it, <laughs> if you want to start a company anytime, I mean, you should, you should just do it. Uh, you can do it because, uh, you know, if you're in academia, right, you know, based on my, you know, MS research work and all, you know, I thought that, you know, we, we, academia is far a little away from, you know, uh, the industry and the industry, uh, advancements. You know, that might not be true in all the cases, but, you know, that is so true in, in 90% of the cases, in, in my opinion. Uh, do you, what do you think on it? Um, that was jam-packed, Rohit. <laughs> <You know. laughs> no, um, so I have a few thoughts mm-hmm. um, about, like, industry versus academia and the career path. So, yep. uh just stay with me for a second. So I, the reason I decided to do a PhD um, initially was because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, And so when I left undergrad and, you know, while I was in undergrad, I always knew 
or, you know, was told that I should really think about grad school, like, you know, at least the master's. And so, you know, the seed was planted then. And then closer and closer to graduation, you know, it was no clear, it was no other option that, you know, made me want to, you know, steer away from, you know, not going going to grad school. Um, I didn't see a job opportunity that interests me. And, you know, going to grad school, it seemed like there's no way you can go wrong from there. You know, just getting mm. more education and, sure. you know, and still trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. So that's yeah. the honest, you know, truth there. Yep. Um, another motivator for getting, for continuing education and getting my master's, um, my MS and my PhD in electrical engineering is because I am the, I'm a first generation graduate in my family, um, mm-hmm. even my older sister, she she actually didn't go back to school until she saw me finish. And so, mm-hmm. um, and so one of the big motivators and just keep getting and doing as much I can possibly, as much as I can possibly do is for future generations in my family, you know, and showing like my nieces that, okay, they're like, okay, Aunt LaVonda, did this. Aunt LaVonda, you know, got a PhD. Aunt LaVonda started a company. Aunt LaVonda joined a sorority. You know, I'm just checking off all the boxes so that, you know, my nieces and my my cousins, that they know, and and my future kids, they know that they can, all things are possible because they've seen somebody who looked like them and in in their family do it. And so that's been a big motivator, even when I didn't know, like, why I was doing it. That was, that was always there. Um, so, um, as far as the industry academia, so, okay. Yes. Yeah, so the PhD, yes, they say a lot of people were, were like, if you get your PhD, the only thing you can do is academia. Like why go to school all those years and, you yep. know, be pigeonholed into this one career. You, you may not even like it. Yep. Um, and so, and when you get your PhD, it is a very, very narrow focus. Like I am an exactly. expert on developing yep. an engagement model to teach children, you know, math. Yep. <laughs> and yep. so it's like a very particular uh, topic. Um, and yep. But, you know, the skills that you gain outside of that, just like problem solving um, is applicable sure. to a lot of different um, um, yep. areas, domains. Um, so academia and industry. So let's, I became a professor eventually, right? Um, their academia and industry, I would say, are different. But academia and startup, I see a lot of similarities. And I mm. will say that I don't have experience in industry. So I, I truly can't speak to, you know, what it looks like on that other side, besides a few yep. internships, right? Yep. Um, but when I was an assistant professor at LSU, I had my own research group. I had um, funding. I could choose whatever I wanted to do my research on. And I, I stayed in the same realm as like my PhD. Um, I I was the boss, I was in charge. I could determine where the money went. I also had to apply for grants though. If I wanted to do something with robotics, I've had to find yep. a grant for it. If I wanted to do something with eye tracking, I had to you know, write the proposal to get the money. And yep. so that's that's pretty much the world in academia. You can do whatever you want as long as you write the grants and get the funding. Yep. The other component to academia is teaching. Um, yep. And so uh, teaching 
the teaching is the reason why I decided to leave, um, just long story short. Sure. And, you know, everybody has a gift and the teaching just really was, it drains me. And yep. I, I mean, I know that it's a heavy lift for everybody who comes into academia. Like those first few years, you're building out curriculums and grading papers, and it takes yep. up all of your time and you're still graded on like your promotion and tenure, you're graded on the research, right? Yeah. And so, and I love the research and yeah. I barely had time to do the research because I was working on the teaching component. Sure. Yeah. And so that was one of the, that was the major reason that I decided to go to Georgia Tech Research Institute and do purely research. But the fact the research side of academia, having my own lab and bringing in my own students and doing doing whatever research topic I wanted to do is very similar to a startup company yeah, where yeah. you have you can make all the rules. You still I still have to find the funding. I'm still yeah. applying for grants that did yeah. not leave, you know, um, and I can. I, you know, I, I'm in charge. I mean, there are some other yeah. subtle differences, right? Like, sure. Yeah. Um, I have to, have to, well, I guess you, I was going to say I have to pay employees, but in the research lab, you have to pay their tuition, right? Yep. Um, if it's not paid for, um, but in a startup company, you can bring in revenue. I'm not quite sure if you can do that in academia. Uh, yeah, in, in a way, grants, right? Grants are equal to revenue here, in a way. Yeah, uh, but but with startups, we need grants too, and it's not considered revenue. Sure, like yeah, we, yeah. We're, we're putting out a product that um, can give us money. But one more thing um, that I thought of, and I hope I didn't lose it, is I might have lost it, Raviv. Um, It was good, too. It was the relation to the startup in the lab. Oh, a lot of assistant or a lot of professors in general, they start companies while they're Hmm. in those positions. And so, I mean, they figure out, I mean, it's possible but I've seen a lot of professors have startup companies on the side and they still stay, you know, they're still professors. Um, and it does, it, there's not a conflict of interest. I'm not completely sure how to do it, but that exists as yep. well. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I think I, I heard it too, but, um, yeah, not sure. Uh, you know, how, how that works in reality or, you know, what is the success rate of it? But yeah, uh, thanks for, you know, thanks for sharing, you know, uh, all, all these thoughts. I think, I just realized, you know, I had like a lot of questions, you know, in one go. Okay, let me break down some of your responses, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, you want to, you know, you are the first generation, you know, uh, black student uh, in, in your family, um, uh, sorry, black woman student uh, in, in the family. Uh, and then you want to prove that, hey, these are all, you know, can be done. Mm-hmm. Is, is uh, you know, I can see why that has been the biggest motivation factor. Because, you know, that, that, you know, that kind of inspires many people. And I, 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 you know, I I started wondering how many, you know, black women have done this path and became founders, right? I think it will be very, very few and and you'll be one of the top 1%, uh, uh, you know, uh, black women in in, in the country to do it, I guess, uh, if we we can gather all the data. But because, I mean, that's just a lot of work and, and, and glad you were able to uh, breeze through it. I know you had, you, I'm sure you had fluctuations and, uh, you know, ups and downs. Mm-hmm. But again, um, I'm sure like many others, you know, around you are, are you know, definitely inspired and uh, they know that they can do the things, whatever they want to do, because 
if you have done all these <laughs> in like in 10 15 years so you know anything anything is possible you know right because they cannot say that hey you know no one now has a luxury of you know giving a reason that hey you know i can't do this because of so and so because you already proven that you know th- everything can be done in a way um mm-hmm. yeah that is that is a journey uh, of its own um, and and um, it's a really it's a really uh, kind of motivating for me to you know uh, uh, <laughs> learn from it right and and see that hey you know i can't complain anymore because <laughs> uh, because people around me are are you know doing a lot more bigger you know hard and things you know which involves a lot of hard working so i cannot just say that hey you know podcast i cannot just complain that podcasting is a lot of hard work because that's one <laughs> that's just one you know uh minuscule of what what uh, the effort needed for all the you know all the degrees right so mm-hmm. that's good and and uh, you know other parties the reason that i said you know academia academia you know may not be the right for me you know is because if not everyone you know um, can carry the research work they have done in phd or masters into the future you know because as you said you know the opportunities are very because we become experts in very narrow field mm-hmm. and you know companies might not even exist in those fields and nobody is willing to give us a job or you know offer or if you mm-hmm. want to get into the industry i think the scope is too narrow mm-hmm. and and which means that we have to diverge towards other um, industries or other fields sure we have problem solving skills and you know we are those you know one of the few hard working professionals Mm-hmm. you know um sure you know companies like us but at the same time the fact that you are not able to carry the research work into the real industry mm-hmm. and and not able to you know go with it in the long run is that thought kept me you know away from phd because but in your case i'm glad you know i like the way how you carried your phd work into postdoc and you know you kept going with it for the research and and eventually a company so Mm-hmm. I I never knew that you know that's that's possible, but at the same time, um, uh, it's 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 great that you are able to you know stick to your work and you know still still keep going with it, right? So yeah, yeah that's that's. Uh, <laughs> I had another thought while you were saying that, um, and so I mentioned that you know I don't have a lot of experience with industry, um, yeah. but. And it's the point where you're saying that um, I, I basically have been able to carry over some of the work that I've done. Um, I think uh, one of the the big things um, that also is present into why I am where I am today is like I tried a lot of different things. And so exposure was really key. Yep. And and so, yes, we see the things that worked out and what I'm doing today. But in order to get here, I did a lot of different things and it, it helped me learn that, okay, I don't want to do this. Um, sure. And so I mentioned, I did an internship at a great company. I'm just not going to say names. It really is a great yep. company. Um, and when I was there one summer, you know, it was, it was a summer, right? And the, the, I don't know, the CEO or somebody came over the intercom and they were like, and they were like, um, whatever quarter it was, Q, Q3, um, I guess the numbers weren't adding up. And so he was like, they had to pause all extracurricular like studies and projects. 
and mm. you know and focus on you know increasing the revenue, revenue. Yep. making their bottom line look better and so like all extracurricular projects were you know paused i, I mm. want to say canceled but paused and i was like when i heard that i was like huh so you could just sit here and tell me not to work on this stuff. And yep. I just wanted more autonomy on the things that I wanted to work on and not only be constrained based off of, you know, bottom yep. line. And so, yep. and so that's played a role, a huge role in why, where I am today. I mean, technically, you know, when my startup grows and we become this big corporation mm-hmm. um, it, for the people who are, for the employees, I mean, they, they may hear something like that, right? Because money sure. is important, but where I am, I still kind of make some of the bigger calls. And so I, it affects me a little less than, um, and, you know, and so I just learned that about myself where I wanted to, yeah. I really wanted to have the, the autonomy to do what I thought was best versus having to do what somebody else thought was best. Sure. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That, that makes sense. Right. Um, you know, Every different person has different, you know, uh, triggers on uh, triggering points. Uh, you know that that has been um, one of the triggering points for you because you know for you research is uh, you know equally important. In, uh, you know it's also the fact that someone else said that hey, don't work on it is is definitely not great because that's what you are there for, right? You know right. you 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 joined the company for a purpose that hey I want to work on this and this is the reason I joined the company and now. We, no, you, you can ju- you cannot just make a call, you know, a simple call and said, "Hey, you're not working on it anymore." You know, that's that's not great, but mm-hmm. that's that's a sad uh, reality uh, of working in you know corporate or, or any any um, company, right? It, mm-hmm. It's it's possible that any day that you know people are you know, hey, just let go within within a single call. You know, we have seen you know all these Zoom call firings, so. <laughs> You know, I, I am with you on it and I would rather, you know, have my own company and, and, uh, be able to provide better direction, uh, for myself and for the company than, you know, sitting, sitting as an employee and, uh, you know, having to take those calls. It's not that, you know, the, the leaders in the company are not thinking through all of this, you know, they're doing what's best for the company, yeah. but the fact that, you know, we are being impacted due to it, uh, is not great either because, you know, if we, ha- if I have the chance, I would definitely be on the other side, you know, and, you know, think through it, you know, another time and, and, you know, see if I can see, I mean, yeah. may- may- maybe I'll make the same decision again, but you know, the fact that I'm on the other side and, and, uh, see the other side is, is a different thing for me. Yeah. And, okay. um, I'm sorry. One more thought. Um, the and, and I just want to give a little more context to that. I think that if I am in a place or are in a, in a place where I am heard and like my thoughts are considered or you know it holds some kind of weight, um, that also would be a place that I would be interested in. And um, I, mm-hmm. as a black woman. Um, you know, I've, I've been in workplaces where I was the only, only, the only black person and the only woman and, you know, you know, everything that you hear, um, you know, not being heard in meetings and, you know, um, having great ideas and, you know, nobody responds. And then a few days later, the next week, you know, Johnny has the same idea and (laughs) the best idea ever. 
I and know, so yeah. it's just you know it's just a lot very stressful to be in those situations and so yeah. that also plays into like why i, I, I want to make sure like where i am i can have impact because i'm heard um and so i don't necessarily have to be at the top you know sure. but I, I just really want to be um, in an impactful place yeah no i i get it uh so you know i think there is still a lot of work to be in that regard i think people still are you know not being heard you know um uh, you know overlooked and and someone else with the same idea is is uh is uh mm-hmm. you know gets all the credit right um so i think there is still a lot of work in progress you know that you know at least uh, people are you know openly talking about it you know things seems to be changing but again yeah. so in in other aspects we are also going backwards in certain directions um yeah. you know which way which i was focusing in in a couple of other other episodes but here i also want i i want to understand this in the academia standpoint right you know in industry you know these things do happen mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately how is it in academia do you you know uh, how was your uh, experience as a black woman uh, throughout you know uh, the academic career um elashi was amazing Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that they were since i've already said their name like i yep. had an amazing experience at lsu like i was the second black woman hire in their ece program mm. and i want to say we were the only two black people i don't believe there were any black men in the program or in that um, department school at the time um but i definitely had allies you know uh with um faculty members and i mean i still am in touch yes. with them until today and so yes. it, that was not the reason you know sure. it, it yeah. truly was you know just i wasn't passionate about the teaching and i i was yep, truly yep. passionate about the research and so that was a great experience just lsu in general now if we just look at the landscape of academia and yep. you know being black i mean it it being black transcends all industries all domains and the things that we have to fight for and 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 so academia does have its issues um yep. and they but they have a great community for um black or african american faculty members um but at LSU like i was shielded a bit because they were great gotcha Mm-hmm. so but again i'm glad that you had such a wonderful experience at lsu um but again uh, in general what you're saying is i mean there are issues may not be as uh, you know uh, as high as the, the industry but still you know the chances are you no know, the, the issues still exist in academia is what you're saying right mm-hmm. and and how does it play you know during uh, your phd or uh, you know postdoc or or uh, during you know non lsu career right Yeah. So did that impact you, you know, uh, positively or negatively, right? So how was, yeah. how did that play a role during your, uh, when you, well, while you were in school? Yeah. So I, I just remembered something that I used to do and it was because I, I am a woman and, mm-hmm. and, and potentially black now that I'm thinking about it, but, mm-hmm. um, on publications and I've seen a lot of females do this in order mm-hmm. to hide the fact that we're a woman, we would just put like first initial last name right um and so that and so on all our publications all my publications i um at least for most of them, most of them i put l brown 
L. Brown. Like that is mm. the name that you you see. Um, and yeah. then another, and so that was so that they would know that I would know that I was a woman. Um, another trick, and I didn't have this issue because I wasn't married, but women who have hyphenated last names, that's also a giveaway. Um, or, you know, most, most hyphenated last names are from women getting married. Yep. Um, in my opinion. So, um, and so if you see a hyphenated last name, like if I was to have a hyphenated last name, I would only choose one of those last names. Um, even if I got married afterwards, I would have just kept L Brown because I want people to be able to find all of my work. Um, regardless of if my last name changed. But the other um, thing is um, my first name, um, I have a capital V in my name. And so, uh, and so it could seem like it's a black name, you know, that whole, Mm. you know, racism, just from looking at resumes, like that whole study exists. Um, And my first name being LaVonda is, is all is an indicator that I'm a woman, but it's also an indicator that I potentially am a black woman, right? Yep. And so um, that's another reason why I all my publications and all my work is L Brown because it, it can be seen differently with you know all the men wow. in this space. So, um, oh wow, right? And so I, I'm thinking like I did that intentionally yeah. so that they wouldn't know that I was a woman, and they would give my work the same weight that they same. give anybody else's. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know. I know I had a few publications, but I didn't know this is this is the case. Um, and yeah. this is very unfortunate, right? You know, okay, in workplace and all, you know, fair. I mean, it's okay. Uh, you can you can be, you know. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't understand it, but okay, I can see why it happens in workplace. But you know, mm-hmm. the fact that it can happen during the review of research papers is Mm -hmm. like really you know astonishing for me because i mean how does it matter because uh, the stats are same and the data is same and how will that matter if it's a change in gender or race because it's not going to change the fact that the uh, the research paper is of the same quality right Uh, it cannot change based on yeah whatever the uh, factors are Hmm. And so even like with reviewing papers, they do have like blind reviews where they don't see the names. Um, And so it really wasn't, most of the reviews are blind. And so hyphenating Mm -hmm. or, you know, just saying L Brown wasn't because of the reviews. It was still just my work being accepted in the space. Even after. Oh yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So it's, um, you know, after the reviews, even if I have to quote your paper, you know, I, might you know uh, see the you know I might judge the paper based on the names or authors yes. or something like that is okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. I know, okay. It is. <laughs> uh, okay. You know I hope you know. Uh, yeah, I've been talking about in in other podcasts as well, but I really hope uh, we have uh, some better lens to look at look at the world. Uh, I hope we be a little more open and. Uh, uh, you know, go, go to every day, you know, live every day with little broader and open mindedness, I guess. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. will solve most of the problems in the world because yeah. I mean, there, there are so many stressful situations happening around the world, right? You know, beat the war, inflation, or uh, mm-hmm. COVID. Okay. There are so many other things to fight. Please just <laughs> don't, you know, make it much worse for me, uh, you know, with all these biases and all the stuff. So right. yeah, yeah, I hope, I hope things, you know, get better, but yeah, again, okay. um, um, I, I'm, I'm just thinking, Mamaya, Mamaya, engage, Rohit. 
So that was then, like when I was in grad school and I was doing the L Browns and, you know, I, that was then. Today, yep. where I am today, anytime I can spell my name in full and capitalize my B, I, yep. I do it every single time. And so I, I feel like I used to, you know, I mean, I was, I was naive and I just wanted to be accepted. I wanted my work to be accepted and, you know, and so I did those things. But now that I have the understanding that I have today, I, it, it, and there was even a point where I considered lowercasing my V. I, I don't know, like, mm. um, how much you understand, but like, you yeah, know, yeah. sometimes ethnic names can have, you know, capital letters and spaces and they're spelled differently. Yeah. I think yep. my name is is pronounced, you know, phonetically how it looks, and so I, um, I haven't had any issues there. But um, I have also know somebody, um, and they have a capital letter in their name, and they refuse. They just basically cut half of their name off, and they just like in my instance, my name is Lavanda, and so this person they just go by Vonda. They refuse to have that first half of their name because of the way that other people could possibly look at it as wow. right right and so where i am today and how confident i am in the work that i can have done can do yep. anytime i can spell my my full name out Rohi. sure I, i'm I, sure I you out. should be actually and you so know you I, should I'm making a name for all the Lavandas yep. out here in the world because people need yep. to know, like, we can have these intricate names and yep. still, you know, be accomplished. Exactly, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, you know, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you can, you know, um, you're saying it proudly and openly. Uh, and I think... You know, despite accomplishments or, you know, despite anything that, you know, we have done, um, I really hope, you know, many people just stick to, you know, uh, whatever they're supposed to do, you know, instead of cutting the names and all. So mm -hmm. I understand, you know, everyone has to, you know, not everyone, but I understand that people has to go through, you know, some sort of pain um, to carry this forward. But mm -hmm. oh, I hope, you know, they look at you and people like you to say that, hey, at some point, you know, we can proudly be whatever we want to be. Mm -hmm. So I am, you know, they can, they can just fight for it instead of, you know, saying that, Hey, I'm gonna, you know, just, uh, uh pretend it until then or things like that. So I mm -hmm. hope to be more people, uh, look at, uh, you and, you know, your, your, pro, your, uh, you know, background, your you know, accomplishment and say that, Hey, okay, you know, we don't have to, you know, we have to stop doing this or, you know, we don't have to do uh, all these sort of you know, hidings or, you know, pretending anymore, you know, we can just, uh, you know, be ourselves and, and be more open you know, and, and the okal, I guess. Yes. Be authentic. Show exactly. Right. Be open and authentic. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that, that's, uh, that's cool. Thanks. Uh, you know, thank you, Lana, for sharing all of, all these, um, such a, such a, you know, great, uh, discussion. So, and, and, you know, I want to take a step back a little bit and, and want to, you know, direct us towards the startup, which is, uh, which is another, you know, exciting, exciting topic, uh, for me. So what, what, what has been the, you know, since you transitioned from academia, you know, you also mentioned that it's not as different as, you know, doing your own research and, uh, you know, writing grants and all, mm -hmm. but what, what were, you know, what are the few, you know, surprising things 
um, for you or, you know, what are the things that shocked you in the, in the startup world so far? You said, what are things that you charged me? Uh, you know, sh- shocked you or like, well, you know, shocked, what shocked. is like, you know, yeah. Well, it was surprisingly, um, this is where, when I learned that there is discrimination across all industries. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, I thought it was going to be better over here. And it, it is not. Nope, sorry. Mean, it was a shock for like a split second. And then it was just like, sure, come yeah. on, Lavanda, you knew that. It, it's know. the same thing here. It, it, I yep. mean, it's different in different. I mean, every industry or, you know, domain has its own reasons why it is the way that it is. In the startup space in particular, um, you know, raising raising money um, is yeah. very difficult for black and brown founders. And yeah. it's because you want to have a good fit with your this potential investor. And a lot of the investors are white men. And so yeah. it's very hard to find something connect with a white, for me to find something to connect and relate to a white man about more or less yep. for either one of us to be comfortable moving forward with, sure. you know, because when an investor investing in a business is like a marriage is up, it's yeah, hard yeah. to get out of. You can't just say, okay, I'm filing a divorce. No, you're stuck with this person. And so, the, so in, in that space, there are not a lot, there's not a lot of black, black investors and then also women investors. So separately yep. black women and then black women investors, it's, it's, far and few between, right? There are yeah. some funds that have come up, you know, especially in recent years that focused on minority groups to raise yep. money. And so, you know, they, there is a support group that has been forming in this space, in all spaces like academia and yep. right there, we have our groups, um, but it's needed just because like our business oftentimes, our yep. business um, can't be successful if we don't have the the capital um, that yep. we need um, to bring it to the next level or to scale it, right? Yep. And sometimes that, that is the determining factor between um, you know. a successful business and, and, and one that doesn't make it, or even a unicorn, yep. right? And one exactly. that doesn't make it if we don't have that funding. The other yep. issue um, from a... a a black black female perspective is um, a lot of of our let's say white counterparts um, are are white men. Um, they they come from families that have money or they have trust. They, I mean they have yeah. yeah they have well for whatever reason. Yep. That's another podcast, Rohit. Yep, <laughs> um, and. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They have this money that they can inject, or your uncle can can give yep. the money, or grandma, or parents. They can they can inject their family and friends around, you know, set them up, you yep. know, to scale the business all the way to Series A. Know, you know, yeah. whereas in our case, we don't have family members oftentimes that can yep. that can't. You know, they're not accredited accredited investors, you know, because they only they don't make but so much, but they don't yep. have, you know, we're not wealthy, right? Yeah. And so that's a societal issue. Um, another 
podcast. Yeah, right. But but we <laughs> and so that's another reason why we're and so to tie it back into the the investors. Um, a, one of the metrics that investors look at to see like if they want to invest in our company is they look at how well we did in our family and friends round. And so this is mm, like yeah. essentially what it sounds like: our family and friends investing in the business. Um, and so if you have a successful round, let's say you successfully closed a hundred thousand or 250,000, um, then that's, that's great. Right. But oftentimes, you know, as a black woman, I'm going to speak in my case, I I can't raise a hundred thousand, 250,000 from my friends and family. I, I can't, it's not possible. And it's not because they don't believe in it and they don't support it because that's what investors yep. are thinking. It's because they don't have it. Yep. And so, you know, they can offer support in other ways, just not monetary. Um, exactly. That, yep. So it's just, it's, it's, we have different issues over here in this space, but it's still because there's a lack of diversity um, yeah. and we're not, we, we don't have a seat at the table at, at all of the different phases of a yep. startup and investing. Yeah, right. You know, which is which is also very unfortunate, right? Because you definitely need the money to scale or, you know, just to survive. Because, you know, particularly when you look at some of the research-oriented startups, they need a lot more money to, you know, invest in research, which might not be immediately money-making, right? Mm-hmm. So, but in, in those areas and, you know, in, in many of the companies, even if you want to bring one person in into the team, you know, that involves a lot of, you know, money because... Hiring is is uh, is challenging and and expensive as well. Mm-hmm. So, if we are not able to get money, like like you said, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, most likely uh, a failure. But the fact that uh, you are not able to raise money, uh, being being a black woman, is is also very unfortunate. I think, uh, I think you know because you know there are multiple things here, right? One is the fact you know uh, that women have you know a lot more resiliency and a lot more commitment to work is is very and has been very undervalued in my opinion because they got into the business with so much you know with so much at stake you know their family kids uh, are are you know um, mm-hmm. and, and the future you know it's it's a lot of compromising you know in in many personal and professional levels which even if they're still committed to do the work, you know, their right self, you know, you have the right qualities of uh, a founder. They may not have, may or may not have all the, you know, skills that you need and no one, no one has any way. So if we have the right support system, you know, right investors and, uh, and, and, you know, right partners, you know, right, you know, the correct hiring, you know, just the right guidance, you know, that will take the company long way. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to the case because obviously, uh, and and that's even you know worse in in for black women, I guess, because if you're a black woman and a founder, you have been through a lot, you know, before you get here, right? You are, mm-hmm. you know, you're you want to change not just uh, you know not just the product or the, or the business; it's also the you know perspectives or biases for people, and and you mm-hmm. are just inspiring so many other people and which is the reason right the other reason that you did you know your phd and in uh, all the stuff you want to prove that hey this can be done you know mm-hmm. which also means that you know you are more determined and and uh, you know you are a lot more you know resilient than many other founders so it technically it shouldn't be a no it should be a um, no brainer to invest mm-hmm. 
right apart from the product and other stuff but uh, you know apparently that that's not the case because maybe maybe you know um, all the biases are coming into play because right like you said right most of the people are you know men uh, white male investors obviously you know they may not vibe well because uh, for whatever you know the biases uh, be it with us or with them mm-hmm. so i'm i'm glad you know many you know funds are uh, coming towards the under you know under represented groups but you know also you know uh, i'm still um trying to you know question the value here right because if you look at some really good funds you know they don't just add the money to uh, you know your 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 company there are a lot of connections mm-hmm. and and they add really add a lot of value uh, to the business right which mm-hmm. which are more crucial to get some of the bigger deals done because it's not sometimes it's not always the product right it's mostly the connections and you know whom, whom you know and and uh, how how well you know people so if if those people are not investing in in some of these companies it's it's a big loss for us as well right because we are yeah. actually losing much more than capital and yeah. i'm i'm it, i i'm not sure whether there is a solution for it it's just that they should start seeing you know the possibility of you know getting more ret- more returns and i was talking in the other podcast that you know if people invest in you know women business the return value is eight times higher than the regular business so you know i think more and more you know uh, startups like yours you know should show the success to the investors so that you know they all know what they missed and they won't repeat the same mistake again and again again uh, you know i think until then you know you just have to be uh, you know like yourself right you know just uh prove it uh, and and you know uh, cut all those biases so that it will be uh, a lot better for the for the future generations i guess so yeah it's it's a uh, it's it's a lot of you know uh, work to do uh, i guess so what yeah. what do you say yeah no i i definitely agree and, it, and when you kind of look at the big picture it can be kind of yeah daunting um but every little bit counts and you just have to think sure. about you know just just yep one day at a time and you know stay will get there you know you you yeah. you already you know reached here um with with all these accomplishments and it's just it just another day you know if you look at the big picture you know it's it's a lot more it might be stressful but again we are here to change that right every yeah. every uncertainty is an opportunity every obstacle is an opportunity and then that's where um, i think that's another kind of motivation for me you know right if i see an uncertainty or opportunity uh, or obstacle that's like okay maybe this is the time for me to for me to thrive uh, and i think you know this yeah. will be true for all the all the black you know uh, and black women or black founded startups you know there is so yeah. much opportunity now and it's it's your turn to change and and be the change maker i guess yeah uh, i completely agree and i think that you know, like leaving academia and how I had that whole transformation, like, you know, L Brown to Lavanda Brown, Dr. Lavanda Brown. Um, And then even in this space, um, and so essentially that just came from me being okay, showing up as my authentic self, right? Um, And then being in the startup space, when I was first starting, I was, um, you know, I I had a lot to learn. And so, you know, I kind of just kind of sat in the back and, and I was, 
I, I wasn't showing up as my authentic self. And, yep. you know, I was trying to grab the crumbs and, you know, uh, left at the table. And, you know, and at first it was more so like, oh, we really need money. Or not even at the beginning, but once I did decide that we needed to raise money, um, then it was like, man, we need to oh, hope somebody likes us. So they invest in it. Yep. Oh my gosh. Like, and then I had a mindset shift and I realized mm. that like, we have more leverage, um, even, even outside of being a black woman, like we have more leverage or we have le- more leverage than I think. And they need us just as much as we need them. Exactly. Yep. Now, if we throw in the fact that I'm a black woman, that even adds to the leverage, right? Yep. Um, and I've I've had some conversations with um, investors, and I'm looking at their portfolio, and I'm asking the hard question. At first, I was just, you know, taking the crumbs. Okay, yep. yeah, all right, yep. yeah, you know, asking yep. the safe <laughs> questions. And now I sit in the meetings, and I'm like, all right, well, you know, how many how many black founders do you have? You know, what's your percentage, mm. and um, how many have you brought on this year? You know, or the past four yep. months, and um, oh, you don't have any, you don't have any <laughs> black women. What's the strategic yep. plan for that moving forward? I mean, because nice. I know from past experience that being the only only is hard, and yep. it's hard for any organization to provide resources for somebody when they don't have, they don't have diversity, right? And so yep. for me to sign up to be in your fund, I have to be willing to be that trailblazer and help you guys pave the way or just lose out on maximizing, you know, the benefits of being in your portfolio versus going somewhere where they already have black women or black people. And and so I asked the hard questions and I have no desire to be somewhere where it's not a good fit or they don't have a plan in place. And I'm okay with that. And so it's been, yeah. Like that value add that you talk about, um, I, I don't just want money. We don't yep. just need money. We need yep. value add, value added investors who are going to bring more than money to the table. And we've talked about this, Rohit. Like, yep. they are going to bring some type of expertise. They're going to help us get these deals. You know, they are connected to these drug training companies, our insurance companies, our you know corporate VC arms, where they are. Let's say. Um, GM Ventures, so they're connected right to the automotive industry yep. and they can pilot our technology. Like we need value. We just don't, we don't need only money and yep. I'm not accepting anything less than that. And so that's more so just being confident in who yeah. we are, what we bring to the table and, you know, what we deserve. So. Yeah, right. That's, that's a great shift uh, in mindset. And I think that's how, you know, we all should be because, most of the times, you know, we go with, uh, you know, imposter syndrome and, 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 or like, you know, we just think that we are the person uh, in need and they're the person in charge, right? Uh, that's not always the case. Even though that is the case, you know, that shouldn't be how, that shouldn't how, uh, let us uh, down and, you know, take the crumbs and, and just, you know, live with it, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we should really start asking questions and, and, uh, yeah, and, and even even you know ask ask them hard, the hard questions. Uh, maybe they, if even though if they don't have answers for it or if they don't, you know, give us the funds, you think that will start adding a new perspective to to them. You know, at some point they might, you know, think about it, and and you never know what what that can lead to. 
Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's a takeaway for many many startup uh, founders and and particularly women and women and black founders and, and black women founders, right? Hey, um, just just learn from Lavanda that hey, you don't have to, uh, you know, have this imposter syndrome or you don't have to be the person uh, uh, to you know kind of go and you know wait for the money. You know, you are the you are the person in charge. uh you ask all the right questions and make sure that you are going with the right investors because you know it's not just the money it's it's a lot of value add and if if they don't have a plan for you uh, in in multiple ways or even even for the diversity uh then it's it's it might be a, a tough marriage so which yeah. is what we all don't don't uh, prefer and don't want to right. it might it might look shiny now but you know it's 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 uh, not going to end well so right right cool um uh, thank thanks for you know sharing sharing all these um uh you know experiences and and thoughts uh, openly uh so and I, i you know i also want to understand you know the confidence that you have in igage right because if you are you know the fact that you are able to you know question back the investors and you know ask them hard questions is also the faith you have in the product and 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 the vision you have for it because mm. if i have you know if i kind of know that hey uh, i don't have a right product or you know maybe competitors are you know are taking a leap then you know i might just say that hey you know i'll just take whoever the investor comes in because i need to move fast here or think like mm. that so just just want to understand um, i guess a little better and and what why are you so confident about it yeah so um great question I'll try to answer it in in fullness. Um So Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. No worries. Um oh, I hate this rookie. So, I had something good to say. So, you said the confidence in the in the business um give jog my memory a little bit more rohit yeah so why are you so confident in, on i i gauge right and and uh, what is your uh, you know vision for it and why do you trust the idea or the product behind it so much that you want to you know uh, you are that made you realize that you are the you know in, in charge here you are the you are the yeah. commander and uh, you yeah. know not the investors here yeah i got it thank you thank you for that i needed yep. it So um one of the bigger reasons at the beginning while I was you know scraping for the breadcrumbs was because we are a pre-revenue company. Um yep. and so as a pre-revenue company, you know, typically valuations are lower um and because uh valuations are typically, you know, a multiple of the revenue that you're bringing in, right? Um and we're bringing in zero revenue. And so mm-hmm. I'm like this this is tough like what investors going to invest in us and we get pre-revenue even though it exists like people get funding pre-revenue um but what we do have is is data and so um data is very valuable and the data in our company is pictures and videos of eyes various eyes under the influence and also sober eyes right um and um and i i once i kind of understood like okay we have data like even though our value isn't in revenue you also get value from intellectual property you get data from yep. 
users, even if they're not paid users, you get data, I mean, value from data. And, and so that's us, right? And, and so I was like, okay, listen, we, so building the confidence. Okay, we have something here. And then the yeah. other reason um, why I am so picky about investors and who I'm willing to, you know, bring on um, is because is the confidence in the technology. Like I know that this works. <laughs> and yep. so w we're in the process of building the data set. The more data we have, the more accurate yep. it'll be just generally how machine learning algorithms work. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time and getting the data that we need to realize the solution. But once we get the data we need, yep. billion dollar company. So I'm yeah. not giving away 10% of the company for $100,000. I've had that sure. opportunity a couple of yep. times. And I'm like, yep. no, that, that, that doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. make sense. <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah. And so I'm like willing to, I'm willing to hold on to it until, yeah. you know, there's an offer that we can't refuse or, you know, um, but until if I have to choose between um, taking like that type of offer or just being scrappy, I'm going to be scrappy. We bootstrap the first 12 months, figure out yep. how to, you know, put these pennies together to, to, to get the work done. Yep. Um, we have some people that are very passionate about the product. And so they're willing to do um, deferred salaries and, you know, do some type of equity nice. instead of having that full uh, salary comp compensation. Right. Yep. Um, and so I think it's, uh, you know, working with the right people who believe in the vision and they can yep. see the vision that I see uh, and they understand uh, the potential. Um, yep. And uh, I mean, that alone and then realizing the value of data is why I'm, I'm so confident about it. And so, so picky when it comes to investors. Gotcha. That's, that's great. Um, I hope, uh, you know, if, for example, if I, if I ever start a company, I'm at least, if I, you know, I really pray that I'm at least half as confident as you, um, uh, because, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I will ever be because of so many questions, right. In the sense, uh, I think, and look, you can look at it in multiple angles and it's, you know, startups may not be perfect in each and every angle. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I tend to think about that and that, Hey, we are not the best there. You know, we might be have to compromise at certain point and, and all stuff like that. So, you know, but, but yeah, mm -hmm. hopefully I'm, I'll be able to be at least, uh, I really pray that, you know, I'll be, um, at least half as confident as you, uh, in, in the future. Uh, but, but yeah, and, and good to know about iGage, right. And, and, uh, uh, the reason that, that, uh, you are, that gives you so much clarity and, and confidence is the data and then the tech behind it. Right. So, and which, which comes with, which, which is not, you know, based on one machine learning model because, you know, pretty much everyone can do it, but this comes with a lot of experience, uh, from, you know, and, and research from academia and, and from like past 10, 12 years. So this, this is, uh, solid. So it's not easy for everyone to replicate, right? Because, you know, if you look at most of the companies, um, you know, big tech companies, uh, they have like all these awesome, you know, ML models, uh, and they have, they have all this data, which is easy for them to, you know, do pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. For example, if you look at Google, right. Uh, if they want to solve for it, uh, maybe, you know, the, all they need is, you know, all those, uh, images from web, 
uh, which they have uh, all mm-hmm. all the images so mm-hmm. you know they can they can probably do it tomorrow um, in a way if they want to so if if it is just based off of machine learning model so mm-hmm. but but what else is uh, you know um, what is the real you know what is the another secret sauce in in your i case you know just just trying to understand it a little better here um so yeah we have two differentiators like when it comes to competitors one of them um so so one of them is that we run on a mobile device and companies that exist today uh mm-hmm. they have external hardware they have headsets or cameras that they sit top of the bottom of the computer um and just being a hardware company in itself it's just a, a whole different ball game right yep um whereas we are a software company and we leverage existing technology like iPhones and androids and our smartphones and then um cameras that already exist that you know are connected to some type of Wi-Fi um like those driver facing cameras and Tesla and things like that yep. and so we we're not a hardware company um and because of that you know we're a mobile solution so and then yep. the other differentiator is the fact that we do research um a lot of these companies uh there isn't a data set that exists like the one that we're building so it's a proprietary yep. data set um during my phd i did a lot of human subject testing um uh and so it's it's like irb approval institutional review board where yep. you have to get consent from humans to actually test them and i tested students on our math software the robotic uh, tutor um middle school students high school students and also college students mm-hmm. um and so um I'm not testing kids now. Let me just say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, I have, you know, experience doing it. And so now, um, now that I am CEO of iGage, I am a principal investigator for these human subject studies that we do, and we get the IRB approval, and we get consent from adults. Mm. You know, when they come into our facility, so we do some in in-house testing. We bring people in. We serve alcohol, um, we monitor how much we're giving them. And, you know, we also get all their demographic information and we space out, you know, when they're getting these shots or drinks. Um, And then we have some breathalyzer tests as well as a law enforcement officer conducting the standardized field sobriety test, which gives us an estimated BAC. Um, And so we use that to kind of compare it to the image and videos that we get from the eyes simultaneously, right? Um, And so that study that we do in-house allows us to get unbiased data, right? Um, And so other companies, they're getting their data from who knows where, Um, but because uh, we're having a controlled study where we're getting the data, uh, we can plan um, to make sure that it's not, you know, it's not discriminating against any group. Um, and we're getting the data for all of these different demographics. Oh, okay. Uh, that's uh, you have uh, you have a lab of your own, and uh, mm-hmm. you uh, there is a lot of process to that goes behind the scenes, uh, which is which laid the path uh, and and the solid uh, proprietary technology for for you for iGage, I guess, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's great. Okay. And I can now I can kind of sense uh, and understand like why you are you know so. Uh, confident on, on the on the company. Uh, that's 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 great. Uh, so, while you know, you also mentioned that you are a software company, mm-hmm. in and mostly the tech side of it. And I see why because um, 
you rely on just the mobile and and uh, not any original hardware which is very good because as as you said right that comes with its own challenges and that might have many limitations as well so the fact that you know i can just uh, scan my own you know i and say that hey <laughs> i'm not supposed to drive here uh, drive now is is another um, you know fact which means that it, the application is very wide as long as we find right uh, partners mm-hmm. and and right ways to go into the market so again but coming back to the question in terms of the software company but along with the research work and all so there is so much tech work that needs to be done right uh, on, on the back end and and uh, being a non tech founder i mean you are a, you are tech founder in a way but not from the software development standpoint right mm-hmm. which is which is uh, another key aspect that many investors look in and and which is also key for a company and i can totally see why so you know as a software engineer i'm obviously biased but clearly rohit <laughs> i know like, i know I right yeah program, i had to program the robots like <laughs> i had to i wrote the software for the eye tracking at emory sure. but to your point to your yeah. point i wrote spaghetti code yeah. listen i wrote i wrote code that worked but it sure. was I mean, not um, for the people watching the code that yeah. i wrote worked but it was not the standard, a software engineer, they would sure, have um, nightmares after they looked at my code. So, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, the fact that you have, you know, pro- programming background and all this in working on robotics definitely helps. But in terms of the product development, uh, it's it also, you know, a little different than, you know, just the code itself. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to understand your thought process on how you, um, I mean, you are a tech founder, also a non-tech founder in a way. Uh, be, uh, in my opinion, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I'm but you know the fact that you know I just want to understand on how you dealt with or how you are dealing with all this uh, new things, and because uh, that is one of the important aspect for a for a software company, right? You know, having a right technical partners and a technical team. Mm-hmm. So, how are you, you know, navigating the space, and and what are the challenges that you encountered so far? Oh, yes. So I do consider myself a tech founder. I do want to just clear the air. Um, uh, But from the very beginning, when I was the only person on board, I built an advisory board. Um, Like we didn't have money to to bring anybody on. I didn't know who, you know, was passionate about bringing it, you know, working for free. Yep. And so um, um, I brought on some tech some technical advisors. I mean, I have some growth nice. advisors and some industry advisors too, but my former PhD advisor who I worked under doing the robotic tutor um, mm-hmm. and the eye tracking, she's a technical advisor. Um, nice. um, I also have a technical advisor who is an expert in machine learning at AWS. Um, and so, so they have been in the loop from the beginning to make nice. sure like, to double check that the decisions I'm making on the technical side are yep. the right technical decisions, right? So I'm not just sitting here making these decisions on my own. Perfect. And and from and from just those three, let's say, um, they helped me figure out like who who to bring on. And yep. so our current CTO now was a recommendation from one of the technical advisors. Nice. Um, you know, she had works with him on a few other product um, projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she, you know, 
And I met with him, interviewed him, and and he's been with us for two years now. Nice. Um, and so just, you're right. You can't, I can't do it alone. And that's one yeah. of the major takeaways um, I, because I am a solo founder. Um, yeah. uh, I'm learning that <laughs> we're not meant to go through this journey alone. Sure, um, yeah. And to really leverage you know, the connections and um, the networks and these different groups that were in founder groups, whatever the case may be. Yep. Um, and if it's something that I can do and that it's easy, it's an easy lift for me and it's a hard yep. lift for somebody else, I want to do it. And I have to remind myself that even though something is hard for me, it's an easy lift for somebody else for somebody to yep. open my mouth and ask for help. So. Um, I, I leverage my network on the technical side um, in the same breath. Like I still, um, the first uh, MVP of our product, I built it. Um, and huh. yeah. And so little raspberry pie. Um, and so we were able to put something together with that. Um, but, you know, we can't commercialize that process. Yep. And so it was a little different. I've been a little hands off since then. Um, but anything that's developed, I test it. Like I want to test it. And if it's sure. not set up in a way that I can test it, then it's not good enough. Yep. Like I, I should be able to test it from my technical background. So, yep. and, and that's kind of like my, my North star, um, uh, with the tech development. Got it. That's, that's nice. You know, um, the fact that, uh, you know, you build the uh, advisory board, uh, as needed, um, uh, uh, mm -hmm. And and you know getting referrals and you know getting help from them you know whenever you need I think is, is the key uh, here and, and I think that's what you know other other founders you know other people like me should learn that you cannot obviously solve you know anything uh, you know, sorry everything you know, or you cannot solve anything if you just go by yourself too mm -hmm. so we have to I think find a way to draw the line that hey um, this might be easy for someone else to solve and I can focus my energy in the right place. Um, so right. that it's it's a uh, it's a it, it's good for the company in the long run because as as you know as the company grows there is very little amount of work that we'll be able to do uh, and the bandwidth will be little so we should start you know adopting the skill at the at the beginning itself so that we expand the culture uh, right. in the in the right way uh, as the company grows but but yeah so. Yeah, I think I, I'll take their advice, right? You know, being able to tap onto the, you know, a network and, and having the right connections. And and if not, you know, if not the advisory board, you know, just just schedule a call and get, get the inputs uh, you need um, mm -hmm. so that you'll be able to make the right decisions, right? I think, you know, that's one other thing that helped me in, in the past. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, a lot of, lot of, you know, great insights and, uh, you know, uh, such a great discussion. I know we are also at time. Um, and and I know I'm sure it's it's a little late for you after after you know a couple of busy days. So I want to um, <laughs> put a stop here. But you know, I have one more question for you, uh, uh, which is which is what I ask for uh, you know asking in, in in all the podcasts. So can you explain something in two minutes that took very long time for you to learn? Oh, did I already say it? <laughs> <laughs> probably you should you might have told you know you can you can probably you know say convey it again or, or... um i feel bad because i just said it um oh. but 
So what I was going to say is I'll I'll see if something else comes to mind, but um, it took me a long time to understand that I, that we're not meant to do this alone. I will honestly say that it kind of clicked. Like we founded the company and our, I founded the company in May, 2020, because it was just me at the beginning. And um, it was as recent as the last week of the impact accelerator. Uh, the AWS Impact Accelerator that we did the last week of July when, um, you know, we haven't been doing in-person pitches. Uh, Everything's kind of been virtual. And so it's easy for me just to pitch the company by myself. Um, But when I was at AWS, you know, our CTO Fred came and he was on the stage with me. um, And, you know, I usually do the heavy lifting of pitching and Q&A and everything everything associated with the company, but just him being there, showing up, you know, working through our, our demo and answering Q and A. Like after I I give the pitch, it, it, it may seem small, you know, um, but it was huge. It was huge. And it meant so much. And I didn't realize just how much it meant just to have somebody just standing next to you on the stage and being able to give me some water and, answer the privacy questions about the technology, right? Um, as well as man the live demo. And so I think I went over two minutes, but the point is we're not meant to do it alone. And it took me a really long time. Like I knew that I I, I could kind of get it together, but the big, if we run a scale, yeah. you, you can't do it alone. For and sure. Yep. Find, find your tribe. And, and start doing it as early as possible so that mm-hmm. Uh, you 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 understand the vibe and and you know make sure they are they're your tribe. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Uh, thank thanks for sharing it. I thank think you. I also want to uh, uh, sneak in one more question if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, because since you are since you are an eye expert, I just want to understand you know uh, some fun fact uh, you know some personal you know um, things that everyone should know or learn about eye uh, because uh, that is such an important. Uh, you know, obviously, organ of the body, but a part of the body. So, um, yeah. Any, any any tips on it uh, as an as an expert? Um, from an engineering perspective. From an engineering perspective, yes. <laughs> We've had some experience doing some human aesthetic testing. Um, yeah. not as a medical doctor, just one sure, yeah. record. Um, but um, your eyes, in short, are full of a lot of different information and they tell so much about what's going on in your body, even like what's going on in your life. Uh, well, mm-hmm. which essentially shows up in your body, like stress, like, you know, maybe some external factors stressing you out. The optometrist, mm-hmm. they can see that stuff, you know, whether or not, you know, they're really just seeing if you need glasses, but they, we can see all of those things in your eyes. If you're having coffee or drugs yeah. or sugar or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, all of it shows up in your eyes. It also, you know, it identifies you um, and, you know, it's, it's the next up and coming biometric. Um, yep. So I am, so I am much founder. Data. Yeah, I, I'm founder and CEO of iGate. Of course, I want your iData, but in the same breath, you, you should be very careful about giving your iData. Um, and so we, we cover all the grounds and make sure everything is um, secure, uh, but you get a lot of information from your eyes and, yeah. and that's just the, the, the major thing that I want to share um, cool. about yeah. it. Oh, one fun fact though. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if it's a fun fact. That that actually was a, a very bad um, way <laughs> to start this. But um, when I was interviewing law enforcement, because we did start in that um, in that industry, we're currently in high risk workplaces like construction and automotive. Mm-hmm. But when I was interviewing law enforcement officers, they were sharing that some of the symptoms are the ways uh, symptoms um, of somebody who has diabetes and is going through a diabetic crisis is very similar to somebody who's under the influence of alcohol. And so law enforcement officers, when they pull you over and they suspect that you have been drinking and driving, they're supposed to ask, you know, if you're diabetic and um, Hmm. before just, you know, assuming that you're under the influence of alcohol. And so that's um, one of the things. I mean, that's just one example, but it's a lot of other things that have similar, that look similar to alcohol or substances. And so all the data that we collect help to um, find that unique signature for the drugs and not necessarily some of the medical ailments. Gotcha. Okay. That's that's really good to know. Uh, So for example, uh, if I, uh, you know, since we are talking about eye detection, eye recognition, right? Uh, Similar to fingerprints and all. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, what, for example, if I have, uh, you know, if I have a couple of drinks, is it going to change or, you know, will I be still be able to be authenticated? I think that's, I think that's a super dumb question, but I still want to ask. No, I think, um, the ID, the identification is still going to work. Um, okay. and so it's just, no, it's more so like your iris and, and things yeah, like that, that do the ID. Um, yeah, some yeah. of the things that change are for what we're looking for. Is it necessarily yep. the iris, um, like the pupil size and the white part yeah, yeah. of your eye, like the number of red blood vessels, even like um, how, how the height of your eyelids um, and the response to light. And so that doesn't affect like the ID. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. That's, that's, that's uh, good, uh, good information right there, which also means that, which also says that, you know, I need to learn a little more about eye and, and, even from technical standpoint, I think there is this quite a bit of for me to catch up, I guess, because mm-hmm. so I, until now, I, I never bothered checking about how this, how eye recognition works and how, you know, the patterns and learn more about that. I haven't really uh, bothered about it so far, but I think I should, I should start, you know, paying attention. Um, yeah. never know. I may, I may partner with you and, and, you know, work on some other company related to, I, I guess, I don't know. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> we're, we're more than happy to have you, Rohit. <laughs> oh, sure. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, we never know, you know, um, we'll see how, how that goes. But, uh, again, uh, thank you, Lavanda. Uh, you know, such a great discussion and, and so many great insights and, and, you know, uh, the fact that you're able to share, uh, you know, openly about so many, you know, of your personal experiences and, uh, some cultural, you know, uh, or, or other biases that you faced and, you know, that, that exists in the society. Uh, not, not everyone, you know, uh, are willing to uh, op- uh, discuss this openly, but so, and, but, but in my opinion, I think these are the things that we should talk more openly and, and educate mm-hmm. uh, more people on. And, and I really hope uh, this, uh, you know, uh, a podcast and, and your experience, uh, you know, this podcast, you know, helps reach, uh, you know, um, helps your uh, so i hope many you know your experience you know your you know, accomplishments will be uh, reached to many other people you know mm-hmm. during this podcast and if not this podcast i hope it reaches uh, to many people who who needs you know mm-hmm. such inspiration who needs to know that 
you know hey everything is possible um you know if lavana does it you know so does you know so we all can do it um yeah so uh, thanks thanks for you know working towards it and and again um thanks for thanks for your time and effort such a such a great discussion thank you thank you i enjoyed it i'm looking forward to watching some of your other episodes perfect and and you know and some on the next episode too at some point you know we should definitely plan okay sounds good when, when you when you raise you know those million dollars and you know share all your experiences that's when i want to hear like hey i'll come up here experience and <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah whatever it is you know uh, this is a podcast just to talk anything and everything so cool thank you have a wonderful evening you too